0: Hello chaps and chapettes. welcome back to another episode of Guitar Geeks. How are we all doing this fine Saturday morning? It's Saturday morning when we're recording, it'll be Saturday morning when this goes out, so some nice bit of continuity there. I hope you enjoyed the last episode that we had with uh, Tom Pearson Capemont. Hopefully that was a, an episode that went down well. And we have another wonderful gentleman here today. And thankfully he's not down in the land of Australia where... Time differences are horrendous, but down from the lovely sort of Southlands of England, uh, we have uh, Richard Shaw, who is now with Lick Library and previous Cradle of Filth guitarist. Richard, how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm doing very well. How are you doing?
0: I'm not too bad, thank you. I cannot complain. It's Are you awake it's, enough it's for a this? Saturday. Oh, um, I've had two or three coffees already this morning, so I'll be good I'm, to go. I'm
1: joining you on the coffee front as well.
0: Hopefully I haven't had enough where it's going to be... Uh, oh, now it's time to go uh, make a dash for it, but I think we'll be okay for an hour and a half.
1: Yeah, I, I get to the problem where I have too much coffee. I love coffee to the point where I do become like a, a, a rambling, peeing mess. So it's <laughs> like I, I talk too much and pee too much, And but it's what gets me
0: through. Did yeah. you ever watch Futurama when Fry spends what's his $100 on 100 cups of coffee, and then it just becomes a shaking, rambling mess. <laughs> I, I think I've seen some memes, but I, I don't remember seeing the episode,
1: but I think I've seen some memes of that, and it, it, those kind of things make the rounds in musician circles a
0: lot. Musicians oh, yeah. seem it, to live on coffee, it seems. It's like a main it, meal. It's like coffee memes, and then kind of like, especially if you're you know if you're touring around England, or if it's always like service station burgers and oh, chips yeah. and what have you. Yeah, very nutritious diet. The musicians, <laughs> yeah. and we always eat at weird
1: times. We're like gremlins, like it's like we shouldn't be fed after a certain time. And you know, we we,
0: we don't do get what is it? Don't get things. them wet and don't feed them after midnight or whatever. Business, yeah,
1: pretty much. Yeah,
0: that goes for roadies, I think, as well. Roadies and gremlins <laughs> yeah. have very similar instructions. They, yeah, they, they come with um, what's it like in the Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story? You, uh, you've just got him in Spanish mode or whatever. Pretty much, yeah. It's great to watch though. Oh yeah, especially when you were just watching like a, a gaggle of musicians, you know, somewhere like Nottsford Services on the M6 or something and I know it was well, yes. like <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think we all know it. <laughs> um so for people that kind of aren't aware, let's get a, like, a nice little uh, introduction all about you and your business so to speak.
1: Uh, well, what is there to say? I I'm a musician. Uh, I've been the guitar player. I'm probably most known as the guitar player for Cradle of Filth between 2014 and 2022. I I left in March last year. Um, Alongside Cradle of Filth, I've been a session guitar player. I did did the last uh, King 810 tour that they did around UK and Europe uh, back in May last year. Um, I've been a guitar teacher for a very, very long time now, um, teaching in primary, secondary schools, colleges, universities, and privately, I've played guitar for over 50 musical theatre productions. I'm kind of just a session guy, like anybody who needs guitars for anything, I hope to get the calls, basically. So it's... Um, that's what I've been doing, and but and obviously Cradle of Filth was kind of a most... Um, Kind of m-
0: most famous thing I'm I'm known for, I would say. Yeah, that was that was the uh, the the bread that makes the burger, so to speak, or mm. the, the 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 sum of it all. Um, yeah. Obviously, um, it was. It's been very recently that you uh, decided to part ways with Cradle of Filth, and mm-hmm. was, um, I'm sure many people that know you and know all of it, you know, have kind of read a lot and listened to podcasts and read articles on it so we you know obviously we don't want to focus on uh too much negative negativity energy with it however um it's very difficult to also not talk about it as oh, well because oh, of course it's um I, w- I would say kind of you know it it's a very full-on sort of lifestyle working with them and mm. it's what i quite love is the transformation like from kind of you know you could very easily walk past you in tesco or morrison's or something like that and then you see cradle of filth and it's a kind of like completely different persona change
1: yeah it, it was weird like even during my time in cradle it was nice because very 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 rarely would i be recognized even at cradle of filth gigs like <laughs> honestly it's it, it was brilliant in that sense because as as uh, contrary to a lot of what people might believe, I've never really cared for the whole fame thing. I just want to play guitar and, you know, hopefully pay the bills doing it. You know, that, that's all I've, I ever wanted. So when I was kind of thrust into the cradle of filth thing, it was um, it was kind of odd at first, where people did start to recognise me, um, but they, but just to juxtapose it, it was hilarious. I remember doing one show in Coventry, I think it was, um, and we just played this blistering, like, two-hour-long set, absolutely amazing set, and my brother was in the audience, so I just went literally straight after the gig, got the makeup off, got into my civilian clothes, and went out front, and I was holding the door open for a lot of people. (laughs) <laughs> who didn't even say thank you to me, like as I o- held the door open for him, I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. And like, like literally this like front row of girls, like, oh my god, no, and th- th- they were there, like just walking past, and it was like, yeah, you've literally just been that far away from me from the gig, had no idea who <laughs> I was, and that's what f- quote unquote fame was like in Cradle. It's and 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 that's why f- it was almost like the great. A great job for that reason like i'd meet so many fans around the world um who didn't know it was me they thought i was a roadie <laughs> and and it was it's, great it's the beard in the like hair. yeah even on like the, the cradle of the forums and stuff i'm sure i've said this many times on other podcasts but when people sum up the, the fame it was like oh, i met all the members apart from rich rich is a dick Like, he didn't come out and say hello to people. And I would message back going, who do you think took the photos? And then be like, oh, I'm so sorry. They'd literally give me, because I was hanging out with the band, they would literally give me the the camera, the phone, the camera, whatever, take the pictures, and then they'd go online going, yeah, Rich didn't come out. He was a dick. He was the only one I didn't get to meet. And they're going, "You, you, you, you did, you just didn't know it was me. So it's I kind of liked that. I just kind of found it funny. So I was just all about it's playing like the shows the, um, and
0: playing guitar, you know, I'm, I don't care about this It's like stuff. the memes of when you see like, Oh, like can't believe I met so-and-so and blah, 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 blah. And we just got someone to take the photo. And it's like, you know who took the photo, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, it, it is exactly like that. And you know, there'll always be that moment in, I think we were in Ulu, Finland. And obviously Danny gets recognized wherever he is. He's a very recognizable man. Like even out of makeup, people know what he looks like. Yeah. Um, and we were in Ulu, Finland at the airport, and uh, some girls came over in Cradle of Filth t-shirts, and Danny's like, oh, here we go, right, okay, All right. i and they didn't recognise him, but they recognised me, <laughs> G- gave him the, the the phone, take a picture, and then he was in a bit of a bad mood. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wonder like, you're right, I was like, you're right there, he went... Now I know how you guys feel when, <laughs> when like, no, like you're in this band writing and performing the music, and then but even some of the fans don't know who you are. And that was, I think that was a first for him. And it was like, yeah, that was kind of odd in however many decades he'd been doing it, that he didn't get spotted by people wearing Cradle of Filth t shirts. So. It's
0: a bit mad, especially because, you know, the singers need their little um, their little ego fill. So to speak. <laughs> well, obviously, it's not just singers. I think everybody needs a little ego fill from time to time. Just, just
1: so you know, you're kind of doing. I know it sounds weird and a bit pretentious, but it's just nice to know you're doing something nice that means something to somebody. And somebody says hello and thank you, and you're like, it's it is a nice little boost. It, I suppose it is a bit of an ego trip, but uh yeah, but but when it doesn't happen, and you see some people get, I I just always. I was always used to it I never like hardly ever got recognized but when I've seen it with a with a lot of musicians and i've seen it even with athletes and stuff when they don't get recognized if kind' of, hurt, he um their feelings get hurt a little bit which is quite funny I know who I am yeah it's quite funny when that happens it is that do you not know who I am? not really even uh, do you know do you do you know who I think I am kind of mentality um, <laughs> it's uh it's just yeah they're just not used to not being recognised, and it's kind of odd when that happens to them.
0: It it was really weird. Like I wouldn't say I had something very similar, but um I went to go and see um, a WWE house show a fair few years back, kind of just before COVID. And um I was just walking down the high street in Birmingham City Centre, and I seen like this six foot four, like built like a brick shit house person walk past, and I was like, I I know that's you know, he's in he's in the wrestling. And then I like, walked past in, like, a hotel and then seen, like, another six of them. And I was just like, what? And all of a sudden then, like, I cut and done. And then there were people that coming over, like, who are they? And I'm like, oh, they're, they're, you know, wrestlers from America and whatnot. And it's just kind of like you don't see. You don't usually tend to see people like that out in the daylight. No, it, it's,
1: it's weird like that, but, like, the situations you find yourself in. I had a mate of mine who met Donny Osmond in a services. No way. And he was just like, that's Donny Osmond. What are you doing in a services? Probably Nutsford (laughs) services. And like, (laughs) just like, just really weird. And it kind of threw him off going, it can't be him. Why, Why would he be at a services at this time of day? And obviously he's on tour in the UK. He's at a services. It's just kind of what happens. And it does, it throws people off when you see them outside of a context that you know them for, to the point where you go, you kind of almost convince yourself that's not them. But I've had this conversation many times, it's like, well, what is celebrity? What is fame? It's very famous and celebrities if you know who they are. Mm. I've actually met some people who were very, very famous people, but I didn't have a clue who they were. They're probably on some like bloody Love Island or something like that. I don't, I don't even know. but I don't watch it. I have no idea what it is, other than that it's a television program. And that, that is literally the extent of my knowledge of it. But I've, pro- I've, I've probably met some of these people and i had no idea. People, were like, oh, I can't believe you met this person. I was like, what person? You know
0: what I mean. It's all
1: relative. Fame is relative in it, and that's I think what people need to bear in mind. Just you I'm, could be the biggest celebrity be... in this small pond outside of that nobody gives them monkeys <laughs> no nah. and that's in um, perspective I, I, you know
0: I, I imagine that kind of with you know credit for being that kind of like black metal stroke i guess extreme metal kind hmm. of um, niche of the genre um like you know they'll have a very particular following here so like in england for example where it, it's, it's you know it's very big in its own culture in the metal scene but not so much, kind of, if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Whereas, imagine going to, like, you know, Scandinavian countries, Finland, Sweden, it's, it's almost like a religion mm. over there. So, it must have, like, kind of, when you would go there, it would almost kind of feel like the home of the black metal vibe, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of hard to explain, but it wasn't even... Like, whenever I toured Finland, Norway, uh, Sweden... It was kind of like more of a culture was, yeah, like, like you say, focus around metal and there's a deep appreciation of true metal and all that, whatever you want to call true metal. And but in terms of how Cradle fit in with that, it was odd. I never felt any different to whenever when I played any other country. I never felt like we were more famous in certain countries. Because again, I think it is that thing when when, when you meet fans, they, they know who you are, they appreciate you. But as a as a whole, nobody nobody cares really. So it's it's you can get into your own bubble about where when you, especially when you go on tour, because everybody you meet, it's a very controlled environment where everybody you meet knows who you are. So you you can kind of get that elevated thing of oh we. are we're ridiculously famous. It's like, not really. You're famous along pe- around people who know you, but you're surrounded by people who know you who you are. So it, there is that constant kind of ego stroking kind of thing going on just because you're in that environment. But it's, it's, I, 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 I feel weird yeah, for people who... Of that famous fact they can't go to nutsford services without being <coughs> spotted, you know what I mean? Um that's that's a whole new level of fame that a lot of metal musicians have no idea what that's like. You know what I mean? Like there's being like music famous and then there's being movie famous. You know what I mean? It's it's very different.
0: Very different. Oh yeah. It, I had to, like I wouldn't say, you know, I when I was gigging I was mainly kind of a, like in the tribute scene here in in England and did some international oh, you, gigs oh, you and did, whatnot. Oh, you did, you did tribute stuff. Wait, which tribute stuff did you do? Uh, Ramlite, Ramstein tribute. Oh, you did Ramlite. I've seen I you. I did. Oh. I, so that's, yeah. That's, we, that's, we, isn't I can't even think where I would have
1: seen you. Yeah, I've seen you. I didn't realise you were part of Ramlite. That's cool. See, I see you're was famous to me. In
0: Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you see what no, I mean? We're having you.
1: this conversation about fame. I, I, I didn't know it was you, but I've seen you and you
0: were um I was brilliant. playing with them um, back in kind of like the early 2010s. Um, and then yeah, kind of been. decided to go my way and go thinking you know I want to get myself a proper full time job and uh, made the biggest mistake of my life of kind of bending it on the head with them but you know it is what it is um, Yeah, I was walking into a pub in Birmingham um, just on like a Saturday afternoon and someone come up to me and was just like you're in Ramloid and I was just like yeah and he's like oh I've seen you so many times and I was just like Okay, thanks. I was going to go and sit down and grab myself a burger and a beer. <laughs> no, I had moments
1: like that, that it was... I can't remember where it was. There was this guy who came up to me. I know it sounds quite stereotypical, but he looked like a Cradle of Phil fan. Like he he, he had the a traditional kind of attire. Yeah, And he came up to me and was like, are you Richard Shaw? I was like, yeah. It was like, oh my God, I'm a huge fan. And as we got talking, I kind of assumed, like wrongly assumed, it was Cradle of Filth, and it wasn't. He was like, "I don't give a monkeys' back in Cradle of Filth." Can't stand the band. You were in Emperor Chung, <laughs> like the band <laughs> before I was in Cradle of Filth, and and he was like, oh, "I remember seeing you guys on like Kerrang! and Scuzz, and I, I saw you at this like little pub in Scunthorpe, and I was like. <laughs> You were one of the three people who were there. like, like, like and, he, and he couldn't believe he was meeting me as the guitar player from Emperor Chung. Like, not the famous thing that I later went on to do, you know. And it, again, it's all relative. Like, there's, there's been so many opportunities mad. where I've met people, and I'm like, you put it on the CV, it's like, top of my CV is obviously Tour for Wilbur Cradle of Filth. And people are like, cool, what's that? They have no... Yeah. Context of what, like the size of the band uh, of Cradle Phil, and um, so it just goes to show, like it's not a given that everybody knows you for certain things or even knows you at all. And um, I think that's why, not to sound too pretentious, I like to think that's why I'm still relatively grounded, even during my time with Cradle. <laughs> You'd say to people, "Oh, I've been on tour. Cool. Where have you been? Oh, I've been around the world. Oh, that sounds exciting." Who with? Oh, a band called Cradle of Filth. Not a clue. <laughs> Not a clue. Like, are, they, are, they known, yeah, it, are they a known band? You're like, yeah. And and then obviously you go, if you watch the IT crowd? They're a real band? Like, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, you know. It, and it's, <laughs> but then you meet some people and they think Cradle of Filth are like one of the biggest bands on the planet. And it's, it's all the context of what people perceive as being big yeah, and successful, it, you know what I mean?
0: Everyone's kind of got their, like you say, their their own preconceived notions of what um, success and and fame is, so to speak. Exactly. Even um, weirdly enough, you, like
1: Ramlight. If I would join Ramstein, dream gig right there. If I'd ever joined Ramstein, and you tell people I've joined a band called Ramstein, in the metal rock and metal community, you, you, oh my god, this is the best thing that could ever happen to anybody. Outside of that, you get people going, "What's that?" Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, they assume you're going to be playing to about fifty people down at the Dog and Duck. You know what I mean? Like, because like, <laughs> again, there's no context for how how big this band is if you don't know what it
0: is. It's, it's weird when I, mean, yeah. I started my new job, um, like most people have like, I've got lots of Rammstein and music sort of related tattoos, and people are like, oh, you know, what's the tattoos about? And I'll explain, and they they all go, who are they? And I'll say like, you know, German industrial heavy metal band, and they're like, they sing in German, and I was like, yeah. And you listen to that, yeah. And then my my new manager in my new office is just like, "You've got Ramstein tattoos," and I was just like, "Are oh, we about to become friends?"
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like my girlfriend's got Ramstein tattoos, and she she gets the comments like when there's another Ramstein fan. It's like oh, like you say instant best mates, and uh, <laughs> and then the number of people just go, "What was that?" Like it's it's it's, it's very. Common again, context is everything, and that's why I think the fame game is kind of silly in a way. But um, some people strive we all, to we be all famous want the fame
0: in some level. Don't yeah, we?
1: some people want. I, I think there's a difference between fame and getting almost recognition for something you're passionate about. It, it, it's a fine line, but I I think I always went for I I would like people to acknowledge like when people say you're a good guitarist it's like oh thank you very much but again it's all relative it's all subjective because some people could love what i do some people could hate what i do even though i've done nothing different (laughs) it's just what i do (laughs) um so i think there is a difference between actively seeking and wanting fame and wanting people to appreciate what you do um and i was always happy with the appreciative kind of side of it it's like cool that's that's fed my ego enough uh, any yeah. more than that I think I'd be a bit weird <laughs> I'd, I'd be very very imposter syndrome about the whole thing and incredibly British about the whole thing when anybody you'd meet would go oh my god you're like my, my all time favorite guitar player you're like a god to me which is odd <laughs> whenever you hear it. I would be incredibly British and kind of like cool you too like that awkward bit when the, <laughs> that awkward thing when like Somebody gives you your meal in a restaurant. Enjoy, thanks you too. Oh god, that's kind of how I'd react. <laughs> <laughs> I like, just go so awkward and incredibly British about the
0: whole thing that I was like, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, you know, you kind kind of enjoy your meals. Like, yeah, you enjoy yours, and you're thinking, why the hell did I just? Why say did I say that? that? Like, it's
1: like stupid, moron. It's like that moment when you call the teacher mum, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> like that's how I kind of feel in that moment when people are like. Shower with you with too much praise. It's like, yeah, I, that's great. It's really, really nice. But yeah, I, I, I kind of don't know how to handle compliments well. There is that imposter syndrome thing in the back of my head going, I'm just a guy who plays guitar and got incredibly lucky. Like, <laughs> like there's nothing special about me or anything. But, but it, it's, again, you could say the same about any of your heroes. Like you say, if, if you ever have you ever met the guys in Ramstein, out of curiosity?
0: Well, Yes, yes and no. It's um so I, I had the opportunity and I went to download in twenty sixteen. They did like a you know, like um a Krang booth sign in and it was kind mm. of like, Okay, do I go in the queue for that or do I push my way to the front row and I I decided to push my way to the front row? So like that kind of opportunity uh swung me by. But my uncle used to work at East Midlands Airport and he actually refueled they they playing cuz they were playing in pink oh, pop right. festival the next day yeah and um he managed to like uh, basically get a piece of paper and a pen to them and managed to get I managed to get some hand signed um autographs from them like awesome. to josh from ramstein and got their autographs and then oh, um a couple of years ago uh, I actually won like um, a competition to speak to richard the the guitar player um on a podcast and actually got to like have oh wow kind of like 10 minutes just speaking to him and I was like (gasps) because you know he he was the reason I picked up playing the guitar and so like I managed to kind of like um get some recognition off him and you know said I'd play like a Rammstein stuff I've I've got like three of your guitars blah 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 and um I made him laugh like proper laugh. And I was like, I can die happy now. <laughs> Amazing. I was going to say, are they
1: the guitars in the background?
0: I uh, I yes. In there. Oh, I do like those yeah. guitars a lot. <laughs> I really like them. If, I've if... got the two burnt models and the platinum silver as well. Mint. Mint. Um, so growing up, was music a big thing your childhood like obviously the inspiration to then pick up guitar obviously came from somewhere
1: yeah it's kind of odd like me and my brother took uh, my brother's two years older than me and we both started guitar lessons like on the same day like we had lessons at the same time and but to actually pick up the guitar was something that me and him wanted to do very early on um but, but at the same time, we never took it seriously. It was just like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to play guitar? This would be nice. And you get a guitar for Christmas, like when you're like seven or whatever, forget about it. And then it, I got really serious about wanting to play guitar. Because um, I'd always liked music, but it was always music like that my grandparents listened to. So a lot of country and rockabilly stuff. Uh, I mean, like early rock and roll. And then from my mum and dad, they had like the 70s pop and rock stuff going into the like, early 80s. Uh, and then and then it, it was just the moment when I saw a Metallica video on... We had recently got Sky, because, you know, that's a sign of you're doing all right if we got Sky in the uh, mid-90s. Um, and I just remember us putting on like, MTV2 on or something, and the video for Until It Sleeps came on. The album load had just come out. And... I was like, that just looks cool. And I'd already already had an interesting guitar, but that was a, I think that was the first time it was like, this is like a, my own music instead of just listening to my mum and dad's or my grandparents' music. Yeah. And, and me and my brother were the same, just became diehard Metallica fans. And at that point it was like, right, can we have a guitar? Can we have a guitar? Can we have a guitar? Then we got a guitar. <laughs> he played bass. I played guitar, and uh, yeah, there was no looking back, really. So I wouldn't say we we had we came from a musical family or anything like that, but we had music on in the house. Um, but then I found out my uh, my great granddad was like in the Hallé Orchestra. But I only found that out like years after. I was like, where where, where do we get this interest in music from? And my, my nana just turns around and goes. Oh, my dad was in the Halle. I was like, and you only just thought to mention this. That's like a pretty big <laughs> deal, you know? <laughs> like-
0: it just mentions, it's just like, you know, you, uh, I've just left the book on the side in the kitchen, you know? Was just Yeah, in the yeah. and, it's just and like-, like
1: her brother was a doctor of music and all this kind of stuff. He would even remember people's phone numbers by like bar numbers in scores. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, yeah, people's phone numbers. Where it was like, it's this bar in this movement by this composer in this song, and he'd associate a friend with that particular bar in this particular piece, and that's their phone number. It's like, that's pretty <laughs> mad. That's amazing. And I was like, how many people's phone numbers did you remember? Oh, hundreds. I was like, that's that's <laughs> the next level. That's next level intelligence right there. I can't remember my girlfriend's phone number that's really bad if I ever lose my phone like
0: that's it i I can't call anyone i i mean i've I've been with my partner for eleven and a half years and this the first time last week actually I had to put in um, like you know what you call it um like, first point of calling in- emer- emergency yeah, yeah. contact that's the yeah. one and it's the first time in, in like say nearly twelve years that I've remembered her number off by heart. And she's always moaned at me. She's like, "You don't know my number. You don't know my number." And it's like, I, I, "I don't remember my own number."
1: This is the thing. But I remember my my landline telephone number when I was about thirteen.
0: Yeah, so I
1: can't remember, <laughs> and I know my own mobile phone number, but I, I couldn't tell you anyone else's. It's it's really really bad. Like maybe I should work uh, on that. <laughs> I'm sure it's you good can't for the memory remember that, as well. Yeah. But then you can go,
0: oh, this is a Lydian mode in you know C minor the, oh, or whatever. The, the, oh, God, I have this
1: conversation with friends and my girlfriend all the time. It's like my memory is so bad. But when it comes to music, like guitar theory, that, that information does not leave. It's really weird. I could pick up a guitar and play a solo that I learned when I was about 14. But I can't remember like to put the bin out. <laughs> like it's, like a, it's it's stuff like that where you just go, bit, like my 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 m- memory, my RAM has been filled with stuff that's not very practical, but thankfully I've got some kind of career out of, and kind of thank God because if I had to re- retain any more information that was anything
0: else, I think I'd be kind of screwed for work to be honest with you. So I had a kind of. Actually brings me on to something I want to touch upon. So a very similar kind of uh, conversation I had with Mikey Demas. And it's it um kind of when you are touring around the world, you know, with crowds of, you know, pretty big sizes with you know, with cradle and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have that adjustment period where you do come home and it's just like, Okay, gotta do the vacuuming, take the like you say, take the bins out. Um, it's very easy for people to fall into you know, should we say bad habits and, and bits like p- bits and pieces like that, you know, what was it for you that did keep you grounded at those times to kind of keep you level? Uh, friends and family.
1: I I was very lucky that I just, when I got the job in Cradle, even that first talk, because when I first got the job in Cradle, I was always just the fill-in guy. So it was like, well, there's, I, I'm here, I'm going to make the most of it. And then I'm going to go back to my job teaching guitar in primary secondary schools. And this was just a blip in my life. That was very cool. And that was it. I was meant to do one tour and that was it. Uh, and then when it occurred to me that I was going to stick around and this is actually going to be a, a regular thing. That's when you start to think, well, I'm now a professional touring musician and all this kind of stuff. Not that I ever got, like, too big for my boots. I don't... I, I like to think I never did. But... And there was always that appreciation. that It's like, I'm a very lucky guy to, to be all of a sudden in that situation and my life changed. Um, I didn't have to... It was weird because I was still working as a guitar teacher in primary and secondary schools for literally about, I think, the first 18 months I was in the band. Because we were touring, but not enough that... Meant that I I had to quit my job to do it, and it was only when I did my first proper world tour with them, which was at the tail end of 2015, going into 2016, that I was like, okay, now I I have to quit my job. Uh, but I, so I think I was always lucky. Like between tours, it was like, here you go, have a dose of reality. You're back to work as normal. Yeah, and I think I was very lucky in that sense, and I always had family and friends that as soon as you meet up with them. Yeah, they'll ask you how the tour went and stuff. But it was just it would just be the same of asking someone else, Oh, you had a good day, yeah, yeah, but not been too bad, yeah. Move on to the next subject. And it was kinda of like that. Nobody feeding an ego of any kind. So I think I was always able to if there was any kind of getting too big for my boots, it was snapped out of me very quickly because people would just be like, All right, now calm down. And when your friends and family <laughs> tell you to alright, calm down, you know you've overstepped a mark a little bit but Maybe other people yeah. would like be like, "Oh, what was Tori. Some sometimes you meet absolute strangers. They find out you're in a big band, and they want to ask you all the questions under the sun. And it and if you're around friends and family, they're like, "Yeah, we've heard all this." Like, and they'll quickly kind of bring you out of it. And it's 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 a good thing. Friends and family, and just having a normal job
0: kind of kept me grounded for for all that time. I and mean, it can be a very um exhausting period of time as well yeah um i think yeah sorry a lot of emotional and kind of like mental exhaustion with it as well definitely yeah like
1: i think the longest tour i'd ever did was like four or five months and that's a long time to be away and then uh, not that there was two years with cradle that was ridiculously full-on in terms of touring it was 2018 and then 2019, we basically did a really long tour at the start of 2018. I had about six months off, and then all of a sudden the offers were coming through to basically do a second leg, and then do it all again in 2019. And I remember coming off of that 2018 tour, because we didn't know there were plans for 2019 at this point. And I remember being in Australia last show of the tour. I was about to fly home and go, right, I've got nothing booked in, like. For six months, this is going to be pretty much... I literally had about a week off and then I was like, right, I really need to find some work. And again, even things like that ground you. It's like, this is amazing, this is great. But you you do, you go away for like four or five months, you come back home and you kind of go through this weird thing, which I suppose it is post-tour depression, where you come back and go, what did I do before I went on tour? <laughs> like trying to get back into that routine's really weird, where you wake up and go, I don't need to try and find the Wi-Fi code or I know where backstage is because I'm at home. You know what I mean? I don't need to get off a tour bus and try and find backstage. And I just wake up in my own bed and go downstairs and go, right, cool. Now what do I do? And so there is a weird period where it is easy to kind of sink into this weird depression where you kind of go, well, what do I do now? Because I don't really have a reason to get up in the morning. I haven't got anything to do and then so that, that's why I would quickly book work in and just make sure as soon as I come back off tour I'm surrounded by family and friends and stuff and go cool let's let's transition into this pretty quickly and I know a lot of musicians who really struggle with that transition like really struggle with it but I was always looking
0: give me a day and I was usually all right um Guitar gear wise, I was like, um, you were using I think like you know, there was Mesa Boogie's uh one point, mm-hmm. um, I think I I you know seen in various pictures, and then, kind of moved to, Kemper. I think you moved to like Kempers for a short while. Yeah, I'm trying to get a timeline
1: because when I yeah when I first joined, I'll keep keep as brief as I can. When I first joined, it was a case of bring your guitars was. We'll, we've got a warehouse where we've kind of got stuff left over from either previous guitar players or stuff that they've, they've got from somewhere, somebody's endorsement, they've just left it behind. So they gave me the choice of either a Blackstar or a Mesa, and we tried the Blackstar at rehearsal, and it was good, I liked the Blackstar stuff, but it wasn't cutting in the same way as the Mesa stuff, so it was like, okay, well, we're going on the Mesa, use the Blackstar as a backup. Uh, and we were going for a Rooster 2B12 cab. I don't know if you've heard of Rooster cabs. I'd never heard of them before or since. I've not heard of them. That cab was incredible. It was so good. So we were doing a, I think it was a Mesa dual rectifier into this Mesa 2B12, obviously, mic'd up off stage. And that's what I did for that first tour. And we just kind of rent a Mesa if we were doing like festivals and stuff, unless we were able to. To get it in the tour bus and travel with it that's what we yeah. did and then when we did a tour of Russia in October 2014 it was almost like yeah good luck even renting a Marshall over there and obviously you're flying between every show so it was like well what can we do and that's when the Kemper thing came to our attention and the guitar tech at the time and the, uh, the tour manager at the time they b- both had a Kemper each. So they basically just loaned it to the band. Like, instead of renting stuff, it's like, well, pay these guys a bit of money and essentially rent it off them for the tour. And we were on Kempers for quite a while, actually. And then, I won't go into too many details, but the stuff behind the scenes was like, yeah, there's no way, we, we, like, you, you've kind of got to... Those guys left, and it was like, right, now nah, you've got to have your own gear. Yeah. To be brutally honest, the manager at the time was like, "Yeah, you've got to use your own gear. We're not paying for your own gear." And it's like, "Well, you're not paying. It, I'm not going on tour to pay for my gear to go on tour. How am I going to pay the bills? Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't pay the bills if I'm basically <coughs> buying <coughs> gear to go on tour and then come back and I've made nothing. It kind of yeah. So it, basically,
0: made that financial
1: sense. Yeah, financially, but I was like, this is a stupid idea. I can't afford it." two campers, a main and a backup there's no way that's gonna happen but for each guy that's not gonna happen so mm. weirdly enough that's when we went on to Mooers because i walked yeah, into that was gonna bring yeah. me on because
0: like you were using this it's like i've never known somebody to use the little mo- Mooer preamp pedals because you're using that and the cabs the ir but yeah it was i mean we were called. using the
1: little preamp pedals that had like an inbuilt cab sim yeah. That lasted for, I think we did like a few, kind of three or four kind of festival shows, and it did the job. It it, it actually sounded pretty decent. Um, I remember us playing loud. The first gig I think we did that was Loud Park, if I remember correctly, in Tokyo, Japan. Massive, massive indoor arena, one of the biggest arenas in the world, and they basically put festivals on in there. And we, our guitar sound was something about that big. And it was like pretty mental. It cost me, my whole my whole backline rig cost about 120 quid. And it was like, that That was what was coming out of the speakers. And it did the job, don't get me wrong, it did the job. And then off the back of that, we got in touch with people at Moo. They were very excited that a band like Krayla was using their stuff. And they gave us an endorsement and it was like, cool, we could almost take a pic of what preamps and when the the um well I've forgot the name of them but the kind of cab sim the radars when the move radar That's came in the radar out. yeah so we had the preamp then going into the radar that made a massive difference because then it was a purpose-built kind of cab sim so it sounded even better and then we started using a few of their things they were coming out with like the GE range and the uh the preamp lives so I went through kind of a few different mower things and then I, I oh, in to be brutally honest, our, our front of house guy was like, I've got everything dialed in and it's sounding brilliant. Those guitars just aren't cutting it. So they, they, they sound good enough, but they're not like, oh my God. You want people talking about the guitar tone when you walk away from it. When you play festivals with like these massive bands, we'll be noticeably not have the greatest guitar tone compared to a lot of others. And that's when we went on to Positive Grid. So we tried the positive grid stuff and that that was pretty decent. Uh, I remember Ashok at the time, the other guitar player in Cradle of Fifth, he wasn't the biggest fan of it and it was for some reason he couldn't get enough gain out of it or there was interference. Apparently those things we kept having to keep fixing, which I wasn't aware of because I was in a very lucky position to have a guitar tech and every day I'd be like, yeah, I've got I've got a fix for positive grid bias mini again. Like it just didn't do well in transport. And that is when we got to the final step. (laughs) I'm trying to make it as quick as I can, because we've used a lot of different backline in my eight years with the band. But that's when the Neural DSP Quad Cortex came out. And that was what I used. And I I know Cradle is still using them. Uh, And again, it was a a situation with Cradle's manager, where they're like, I'm not buying your backline for you. I was like, well, you kind of have to, because I can't afford this stuff. And you want me to go on tour, and I can't afford it right now. It's as simple as that. I've got family, I've got mortgage, I, can't, I haven't got yeah. the spare cash to buy my backline. So, Cradle kind of did agree in the end to go, right, okay, we'll buy these Cortex units, like a bulk discount kind of thing from NeuroDSP. And they're phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I pre ordered <laughs> one when they got announced at the NAM show, and it's been the best purchase I ever made, hands, hands down.
1: Yeah, Easy. I, I mean, I still don't own one, to be honest with you. Um, but a lot of my things. So, so I backtrack a little bit. So that last tour I did with Cradle was like that's when you did
0: Bloodstock in Twenty
1: One. Uh, yeah, was Twenty One. Was yeah, Twenty One was like uh, Bloodstock Twenty One was always like our first show back, if I remember correctly. So that was big stage, main stage Bloodstock, kind of first show. Um, back from covid and all this kind of stuff like kind of easing our way back in after covid then we did like a u.s tour and i think it was the u.s tour was where we first used uh the quad cortex and it was there was a noticeable difference um and they're still using those now uh we did all the kind of live streams with the quad cortex and uh, i think my my last official show with cradle was the roundhouse in london mm uh and yeah we were using it then and um i just thought it just ah, sounds killer and um even recently with the the lick library stuff they've kind of got a a quad cortex that kind of lives there that everybody just plugs into and they've got every profiled amp you can imagine and whatever tone we needed for the lick library stuff they're like yeah we've got that basically there it is and you're like this just sounds (laughs) phenomenal
0: with like, working yeah. with PRS, because you know, I know you've done demonstrations where you had like the Archon and things like that. So, mm-hmm. were you uh, running captures of like an Archon, or did you use the because like they've got the pre built MT15 in there? Uh, is you know, were you sticking to that sort of thing?
1: That's a very good question. Because I, I remember when because we uh, I rec- first got the Archon, the original Archon, just in time for Cradle's Cryptoriana album, which was the second album I, I wrote and recorded with the band. So the whole of that album, as far as I was concerned, was entirely PRS. So that that was the Archon, is what you hear me using. Yeah. Uh, and I think, if memory serves me correctly, I might be wrong, but it was because obviously I'm double-tracking the rhythm guitars, and it's just the Archon for both of them, but with different EQs. I think we might have even had like different overdrive pedals in front of them. Um, but that was it. So it was just the Archon, and I'm using the PRS SE. For all the electric stuff, and I'm using an SE acoustic for the acoustic stuff, so it was all SE stuff for the actual yeah. guitars, which caused a bit of a stir in the PRS community online. Performers, you can't record a real album with SEs, <laughs> why not? They're bloody good guitars, um, and that's why I did It'd be sound like <coughs> it. would anyway. Um, so yeah, so we did to go back. Sorry, I'm digress, but the reason I mentioned that is because. Our, we were on the Kempers at the time, so we managed to like get the tone of the album onto the Kempers, and that's what I was using for quite a while. So I did have the, the Archon profile from the actual album sessions for that. Um, in terms of the Neural DSP, the Quad Cortex, I think we just used for presets that were in there but we kind of tweaked a little bit so obviously I was using Archons in the studio, I'm, I'm using them live with other bands that I'm playing in I'm filling in for like cover bands and karaoke bands and all sorts, I was actually using the Archon for that stuff where it was good old heads and cabs again but in terms of the, the quad cortex I think we just used whatever presets were in there I think I ended up using a blend of of an EVH 5150 and a diesel, I want to say. I think it was like the two Ooh. presets, we just kind of biamped it. Whatever the EVH was missing, the diesel put in, and vice versa. And I was... Ve- we didn't even need to tweak it that much. It was like going through the presets, going, that sounds great. If only I had a bit of this, and the guitar tech going, why don't we just put another amp in? I was like, it can do that. Me being an absolute, <laughs> absolute technophobe, it's like, you can put two amps together in this cool box that looks like it's come from NASA. He's like, yeah, of course, we could do anything with it, and he's just very quick, like quick as that. And I was like, Shh, there we go. <laughs> and I think we did a bit of EQ tweaking, just a, only a tiny bit, and that was it. Like our front of house guy, especially, was well happy because he could just plug it in and go, "Yeah, it's on, and it sounds phenomenal." Let's move on to the next thing, and it just reduced the amount of time the front of house guys need to like tweak the guitar tone out front because they haven't got to worry about miking the cab. Is it in the right place? Oh, someone knocked the mic during the show. Can someone put the mic back on the guitar cab with lost Richard's guitar tone or it sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about any of that. So it's for convenience of it. As much as I love heads and cabs, it's for convenience and the consistency of the digital stuff. That is incredibly
0: impressive. Um, I do. Um, I work with boards of Doom and, um, kind of like when they took me on, the like, oh, you've got a quad cortex, you know, we're going to put you as our like, kind of like digital modeler kind of guy. And um, the more and more I've got used to the quad cortex, the more and more I love it. Mm. It's just it's just the bee's knees.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of felt bad when I was in Cradle using a DSP because I was like, we use one tone. Yeah, because it's very all kind of, of like... Stuff. <laughs> We're literally looking for one high-gain metal tone. That is it. And towards the end of my time in incredible, we did end up like time-coding and all that kind of stuff. So it was like, even the guitar tech was like, well, we've got the quad-core Texas. We can just MIDI it up to time-code with the backing track. So if there is a guitar solo, we can literally...
0: Just like uh, so you were time coding everything. So you, you could have nothing on stage, and so you. Were so just, we had nothing on stage, even uh, way before okay, time yeah. coding, because
1: there was literally only one tone. And even we got to a point with our guitar techs because we had quite a few guitar texts over the time, where it was like there weren't even that. It, despite the three albums I played on, there were actually quite a lot of guitar solos. But a lot of before that, there's not many solos in Cradle of Filth stuff. Which wasn't my suggestion. Sort of that was actually Danny's suggestion. Anyway. Danny always wanted guitar solos in Cradle of music, believe it or not. So on the demos of pretty much every album I made, there were never any guitar solos on the demos until Danny had finished his vocals. He was like, "We need guitar solos." And so, so people probably think it was me and Ashok coming in that meant guitar solos. But Danny always wanted them. So, but anyway. The reason I mention that is because obviously we're playing a lot of stuff from the classic albums, like before my time with the band. So there wasn't many guitar solos we are playing live, uh, unless we are like promoting a new album or whatever. So even then, like the guitar techs would go, yeah, well, it's all right, I know where the solos are, I'll just press the delay pedal. We'll put a, d- a delay pedal in there and we'll just press it when we need it. And the number of times the guitar tech would be busy and he's like, I'm nowhere near the... The delay pedal. <laughs> I've got to sort this guitar out. And, and then we were like, oh, well, okay, never mind. It was only a short solo or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But then in the end, he was like, well, we've got the technology. Let's use it. Let's We we can literally sync it up to the backing tracks and we can time it so that a delay comes in with a boost and then it comes off at the end of a solo. And then it, it, in theory, it could have like long term because we started having more like clean sections and acoustic sections and stuff like we could have played those kind of songs live but we never really did because it was almost like right there's your tone your one tone set and forget and we were kind of limited not limited by what we could play but because most of the old school was just one tone anyway Um, yeah but it was almost like yeah there you go there's your tone but in the end like that last tour it was like yeah let's let's just hook it up why not like and doing the work for us but i was always skeptical of that i was like what if it goes wrong
0: that's that's half the problem. Like um, I was doing some um, like some work for a Paramore tribute um, last year, and um, I was using the quad cortex for him. We had a couple of backing track bits and pieces for a couple of like the more poppy songs that they mm. did, um, and I was like, we could MIDI automate everything, you know. So ain't gonna have anything on stage, and obviously because it's so powerful, we could have run the other guitarist and the bassist through it. And the vocalists, if we really wanted to, and but I, I like when I started looking into it, I was like, you know, let's be fair. Like when you're playing in the tribute scene, you can either be playing really nice for you know half decent venues, or you can be playing.
1: Yeah, I know, you know, I know, I know it all too well. Yeah, with the yeah. I, I don't know if you know, I, I was part of five tribute bands at one point. I, yeah, so I, I I know, did, yeah, I know
0: you did some work with uh, a Metallica, uh, Metallica one for I, a
1: while. Ironically, I've never done a Metallica tribute band. Oh, is even, not? even Sorry, though I've
0: done, I did
1: Ghost. Ghost was the one that I was did. it. Yeah, po- I did, yeah, Pope, I did Stars. Pope Stars. Yeah, so I was in Pope Stars. I was technically the original guitar player for Pope Stars, and that was only meant to be one gig, which turned into okay, I think this is a thing now because <laughs> we, it, it went down so well. So I did Ghost. Yeah. The ne- well, Actually, the one I did the most gigs with was uh, Chop Suey, System of a Down tribute band. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did those, uh, and they would always kind of go out with Killswitch UK. So I was doing Killswitch engaged tribute alongside yeah. the System of a Down one. And then I did a S- Disturbed one and a Machine Head one. But we didn't do as many gigs with those guys. They were kind of like Chop Suey and Killswitch UK just fancied doing another
0: couple of tribute bands just in case it worked, which I think they are still did doing you a few do- fest which in 2013 14 I'm going to say I think no. I think Kill switch I think I can't remember if it was Killswitch were playing that one they were but I don't, I got hired
1: Cause... by those guys I won't give away too much but their guitarists their, their guitarist had joined a very big band and I got something like five days notice. He got the audition and was like, "I've got to learn these songs for the audition." We've got a gig on Saturday, and that's when I got a call from the guys going, "Can you learn? Uh, okay, the, yeah, yeah. Can you learn the entire system of a down and kill switch set by <laughs> in like five days?" I'll give it my best shot, kind of thing. No rehearsal, no nothing. Just plug in. Yeah. Try some of a couple of the hardest songs at Soundcheck and then do the show <laughs> kind of like two and a half hours of music there you go and luckily it went down well and i basically technically ended up replacing the guy who went to join a very yeah. big band so um so that's kind of how that happened but yeah i know the tribute scene well like you say you can join uh, you can um, play a venue that's like this is the greatest monitors in the world my guitar tone's gonna be killer and then you could plug a quad cortex in and you go this monitoring is horrendous I'm gonna have the worst guitar tone ever, and I suppose that's one of the benefits of a head in a cab. At least you go well. Monitoring sucks, but at least I'm in control of my guitar tone.
0: Yeah, and um, it's pros and cons. We had one where I was like, okay, like I invested in some in ears, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna try, you know, try and go down the whole in ear route. So we did a venue. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say the venue, and um, the the sound check was was okay. Um, and I was like, and, you know, I I can deal with this. I can hear everything enough to get you know to get by with it. So obviously, first time experience. I wasn't sure how it was going to be. And um, so then you know we went off we went and got some bits of food, and he took the monitors away off the stage. He's like, well, if you're using, if you're all using your ears, we you don't need the monitors. And I'm like, please don't take them. Please don't mm-hmm. take them. Like, Uh-oh. and um, I don't know why. I don't know what he did but then when it came to the gig it was, I just had nothing but white noise for the entire gig and I literally had to play the gig with kind of one ear out. A singer, she had had a good set of lungs on her so she had quite, you know, Mm. I could hear her over the acoustic drums but trying to play completely blind was not pleasant. (laughs) I've had a lot of stories like that.
1: The one that comes to mind straight away, and this surprises everybody when I've told them this, Main Stage Download 2018. Oh, okay. The dream gig that I've wanted to play since I've been playing guitar, you know, Donnington and all that, and being a local lad, i had been to countless downloads.
0: I think I went to every single download. when Tool were playing, I think. Were Sorry? Tour playing That was the Tool. 2018, we
1: were, we were on the day that... Aussie was headlining. Uh, so, yeah, so it would have yeah. been Aussie. The Saturday was Guns N' Roses. I can't remember who Friday was... was. Sunday was Aussie. Because Sat- yeah, we played for Sunday yeah. with Aussie. Saturday was Guns N' Roses. Kiss, Why has it come oh, God, I can't remember if Friday was. It was like Kiss was. or Def Leppard or something. Yeah. Might just have to quickly Google that. But. Um, yeah, But I, I, I was there for the whole festival. We just happened so we could go for the whole festival, like the whole band if it wanted. I had the keyboard player at the time staying over at my house, and I lived locally. And we were just like, we're just going to drive in every day. It's like I literally lived at the time 20 minutes uh, away from Avenged that. Was Avenged Sevenfold. Avenged. That was it. Yeah. So it was Avenged Guns N' Roses Aussie, and we were on, we were second on the bill on the main stage. And um, so I'm. The local lad who's been to God knows how many downloads. This is the dream gig. And it was an amazing show. It was great. But literally, we started the show. We were already five minutes late going on. I don't know why. We had a guitar tech who... Don't get me wrong. He's a phenomenal guitar tech. But it was the only time he worked with us. Because our regular guitar tech couldn't do it. He was out with another band. So obviously, we got a guitar tech wanting to get to know the gear and what we're using. And we started... And we all looked at each other and was like, what the hell? Bear in mind, this is like towards the end of a massive tour. All of our in-ears are honed in to, to the nth degree. We've done countless festivals going, you know it's going to sound good because we've had the same sound for the whole tour. And apparently it was something like there was a law, that, not a law, but you know, a rule that was like, no, you have to plug into Downloads monitor, monitor Desk. You can't just rock up with your own unless you have the big headliners. You have just to make things easier... And I monitor guy was like, as soon as we started, he went,
0: ah.
1: None of us had anything in my in-ears at all. Apart from I had bass. That was literally the only instrument in my in-ears. And we're starting a song that's got lots of blast beats. I kind of need to hear the drum kit. So the biggest stage, I think it is the biggest stage I've played in my life, other than probably main stage Vacan. And it's oh. and it was like uh ah. Whipped the in-ears out and I was relying on the PA.
0: And yeah, I was like, kind of Holy hear.
1: crap, who knew that it existed at this level where you've got to rely on the PA to know where you are? And during the blast beats, I literally ran to the to the drummer and put my ear next to his kick drum. And it took <laughs> uh three songs. It took three songs for me to get my the mix I wanted. Because obviously, fair enough, the monitor guys there going, crap. Sort Danny out. Danny needs to get the best monitor mix ever. Because um, it's... it's it's One, it's his band. He's the singer. He's going to be fuming if it's not right straight away. So, priority order. I'm last on the priority order, pretty much. So, it took like three songs for me to get somewhat of a mix. And I just had to go, that, that's fine. I can, I've got to get through the gig. Don't worry. I've just got to get through the rest of the yeah. gig. And it was a brilliant gig. But it was for about th- the first song which was i don't know if i'm allowed to swear but gilded something you can and swear as much as you want that was the it, gilded Cunt was the first song which isn't the hardest song of theirs to play but it's it's got some moments where you just really need to be in time and i literally yeah. just run to the drum kit and stare at the drummer and pretty much put my ear in his bass drum to be able to hear the last <laughs> beats and stuff and yeah so that was a quite a scary gig it's already one of the biggest gigs of my life, if not the biggest gig in my life. And I'm relying on the did, PA <laughs> until we got it sorted. Did you
0: go to download in 2016 when Rammstein had played that year? Yes, I would have been. Yes. I can't
1: remember who else played that year off the top of my head. Uh, I was there.
0: I'm, was it Maiden? Maiden? Was it the Book of Souls um, tour? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Ozzy. I think Ozzy was doing one as well, I think. On the Sunday, but I went for the Rammstein gig, and it was when I think just before Baby Metal were coming on, there was the most horrific downpour of rain.
1: Oh yeah, I had yes. ever
0: experienced. And after that, the PA just
1: did not work for shit. No, I remember that because I felt for Baby Metal. <laughs> if it was the gig I'm thinking of, I felt, I, I watched Baby Metal going. Bloody hell, these are actually really really good. It's just yeah, a shame my first they got really bad sound because of the rain.
0: Yeah, yeah. cuz like if you was kind of at the front it wasn't so bad but if you knew like where the PA booth was yeah yeah and you had like the set and set of speakers all you heard was crackling oh, for God. for the rest yeah. of the festival it was awful
1: yeah down downloads well, download or da- a, yeah, downpour we... festival whatever you want to call it it's it's not been the br- most br- excellent weather from some of those but I think 2011 was another one watching Nightwish and I couldn't see them because the rain was that heavy you couldn't <laughs> see the stage ironically the first time I went to Donington was Osfest 2002 and I say mm. ironically because Cradle played that day obviously 12 years before I joined the band and I remember it was a blisteringly hot day and it was I was 17 at the time and I was like the height of new metal, and it was brilliant because I was that kid at the height of new metal. I was the perfect age. My first festival, amazing. Cradle went on, and the heavens opened for the whole set, and I literally could not see them for rain. It was that heavy. And as soon as they finished, bright sunshine. Typical. It was typical, and it sounds like I make that up, but anyone who was there probably knows it's like, oh yeah, when Cradle went on, (laughs) couldn't see them for, I remember for and then it came off and it was like a
0: beautiful sunny day
1: for the rest of the day I remember really
0: go, going to uh, Metallica in 2019 and I seen them at the uh, t- yeah 2019 I seen them at the Etihad and it was the whole day in Manchester was a lovely sunny day and then literally kind of five minutes after Metallica come out it just pissed it down the entire gig
1: yeah. I've seen um, the footage on YouTube because I had tickets to that gig but I sold them because Cradle were on tour. So so I never got to see... You can actually see me on that YouTube uh, footage. Oh, wicked. Like Because, yeah, it happened a few times. I didn't get to see Metallica at all on the hardwired tour, even though I had tickets to see them, I think, three times. I would buy my (laughs) tickets, and then Cradle would announce a tour like a month later, and I'm like, well, I've got to sell my tickets. uh... And it happened three times. I'd even asked Cradle management at the time going... Right, is that it for touring? Like, because I'm thinking about buying these Metallica tickets. Yep, no, no, nothing else booked, nothing else booked. And I'd literally buy the tickets, and then about a week later, they go, Oh, this a festival's come up. And it's like on the day that Metallica are playing, like, of course it is. And like the <laughs> first, the, yeah, the first thing of the, the Cryptoriana tour started in, in Belfast, or be Belfast. And we literally, I had ticket. that was the last show of Metallica's tour in Birmingham, I think. So I could have seen them at any point on the week prior. That set was... Yeah, so there was literally me, my brother, my mum and my dad, we all got tickets to go see Metallica at Birmingham, but it was like the last show of the tour or whatever. I was like, cool. Didn't think about it. Got the tickets for Birmingham, happy days, and then Cradle announced the first show of Cradle's tour was literally that day. I was like, yeah. so had I been given enough notice, I could... Oh,
0: man. Metallica, Birmingham, Amazing. pick cars.
1: So I could have been at that show. I could have seen them at any point on the week prior to me going on tour. <laughs>
0: but Metallica
1: being Metallica, sold out. I was like, there's no chance of me getting tickets. I'd already bought my Birmingham tickets, and I had to sell mine. And I'm there going, oh. And my mum and dad are like, I'm backstage In Belfast, and like my brothers, like sending me photos of like Metallica have just gone on. I'm like,
0: fuck off. To be fair,
1: (laughs) to be fair, there are worse reasons to miss Metallica, you know, because I'm actually on tour playing amazing gigs myself. So it's 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 very it's proper like first world problem kind of thing, musicians' problem. Like I've missed (laughs) seeing one of my all-time favourite bands. Problem number 69. Exactly. I've seen. Metallica countless times, so I'm very lucky to say that, but (coughs) at the same time, if they are one of my favourite bands, I would have loved to have seen them. So three, yeah, Birmingham, Manchester, I can't remember where else the third one was, but I had to miss them on the whole (laughs) Hardwired tour. Even though I had tickets three times. But like I say,
0: there are worse problems in the
1: world, that's for sure.
0: Um, I'm quite interested, because obviously um, before Cradle and, you know, with the various kind of the guitar there was a um a difference kind of going no i've just got to learn this set for cradles and kind of standing in mm-hmm. so then kind of when they did take you on and then you did be kind of become that more permanent fixture in the band <clears throat> um it must have been quite i wouldn't necessarily say unnerving but then to kind of go that you're then responsible for writing the music for the new album it must have been quite a, a trial by fire it was i mean
1: don't get me wrong all the band members stepped up at that point. So it wasn't like, I, th- I think, again, this it, it sounds pretentious, but Cradle kind of had this weird rebirth when me and Ashock joined the band, which happened to need two guitar players for that tour. That my first day was Ashok's first day. And it was like, they just happened to have their two previous guitar players who were very, very well-known and well-respected in Cradle. Both of them couldn't do that tour. and Both of them didn't come back. Um, so it was kind of a weird transitional phase where it's like both me and Ashley were like, Are we are we the new guys? Are we sticking around or are we just doing this one tour? Nobody really knew until the end of that first tour. And then when it yeah, Danny when Danny said, Well, do you want to stick around and we're gonna start writing the new album? Do you write music? I was like, I do, but I'll be honest with you, I've never written in this style of music before, ever. I'd never played in that style of music before, before I joined Cradle. It was a very much a Learning the songs for Cradle was actually very difficult for me because it was so alien to the kind of metal that I was used to playing. <clears throat> yeah. I'd never played along to blast beats. I'd never played along to like pre recorded tracks, uh, like click track. I'd never done any of that in a live setting. I'd never done that before. So it was a, very much a, a very um, steep learning curve for me when I first joined. And writing that first album, I think what had happened was. On the previous album, it was almost like a couple of guys kind of writing everything. And the other guys in the band were kind of like, well, I've got some ideas, but they're not being used. And then when me and Ashok joined, it became a, right, now everyone's let loose. Like all their ideas they wanted to get out can come out in this album and we kind of feeling it around what's people's strengths. Can I write something that that person can physically play? Which you never had to worry about that with Cradle because they were great. They're absolutely phenomenal, especially for drums. I mean, Martin's one of the best drummers in metal. Ooh. And you just go, oh, can okay, you play this? He's like, I'll give it a go. And it ends up being like way more difficult than yet technically difficult than you expected him to play in the first place. And he does it like it's nothing.
0: That was very weird. My Ooh. my laptop just kind of decided to absolutely shit the bed, and then my screens went black for all of about 30 seconds. I was so going to say, your I've,
1: screen is still black for me, but I can still hear you. That's weird.
0: Uh, as long it's, as it's, it's still it's, good. It's, yeah, you. we're still recording. Yeah, you're still good I, for you.
1: But uh, anyway, but uh, that's kind of what happened in Cradle. I think everybody stepped up. And then as we got writing, it was like, okay, we're kind of getting a feel for how this works. We're, we're still getting to know each other. As well, what are people's strengths? What do people? What kind of song do people definitely don't want to do? Like this riff sucks. Okay, why does this suck? Because I'm trying to come up with my best stuff here. Like, and so there was a lot of communication in terms of right. Okay, how's this gonna work? Um, and I, I I learned a lot, especially on that first Cradle album I did. I was like, okay, this is a very very different way of working. I've been writing in bands where we're all in the same room somebody will probably just bring a riff in and then you write the rest of the song together. Worse, probably somebody... Worse, it's not best or worse, it's just different ways of writing. But somebody will bring in an entire song and go, well, these are the parts I want you to play. Yeah, happy days. Cool. At least we're in the same room doing it. Cradle, we lived in different countries. Yeah. There was only me and Danny from England. So it was like, okay, well, this is interesting. We can't exactly get into a room and jam the ideas... So I had to like, I didn't even learn how to self-record until towards the end of my third album with Cradle, ironically. So I'm, ro- I'm demoing my ideas on a computer that my brother's, like, thankfully my brother's a bit of a whiz when it comes to Pro Tools and stuff. So I'd just take my amp and he would, like, do whatever he does with the amp like di the amp into yeah. pro tools and all that kind of stuff and we just kind of record as many ideas as i could before i was like well that's all i've got <laughs> Pack down <laughs> send it off to the cradle guys and they're like yeah can you change this like one note oh, here we go back to back to my brothers up again change that one note and it got to a point where it was like on towards the end of writing the third album i was like which was just before lockdown. So I learned how to self-record, thankfully, just before lockdown happened. Otherwise, I would have gone absolutely mental. Um, so, so it was just a very think. different way of working, like this Dropbox emails.
0: Yeah. You Remote do a demo. Remote working,
1: almost. But like, every song goes through about 30 different versions before you decide what works and what doesn't. And it's it was a very different way of working. So that was just a very steep learning curve. But it's amazing how often... I've been writing with other artists and that's kind of become the norm now, which is kind of odd. I've not actually sat in a room with somebody and written a song with them since about you 2016, say that's kind of... which is odd to me. Still weird, but it's good that we have the technology that enables us to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I started writing with a friend of mine um, who lives up in Blackpool. Uh, we've got very similar kind of music taste. So we can't, we, we're doing the same sort of thing now. Like I'm, um, you know, writing an idea, record it, you know, send it over to him. And he's like, Oh, well, what if we do that? You know? Yeah. It, it's quite mad when you, um, you look at things that way. Yeah. Would you say that was the biggest thing that you've, you've learned as an experience and working with them then?
1: I I learned so much. I'll never, ever, even though obviously things towards the ends of Craig cradle was a bit dramatic and, my yeah. opinion kind of unnecessarily so again and pretty much the reason why i left that the the good times were bloody good and i learned a hell of a lot from every single member i really did like you get talking to musicians of that caliber uh, and even things Danny would say because he's been doing it a long time. You can't not respect the guy when he's been able yeah. to sustain a career. I know people have their opinions on Danny and stuff, but it's like, come on, this guy's been doing it a long time. He's he's he knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. So, so, you
0: don't get this far with not knowing exactly what how to many do.
1: bands last thirty years. Not many. Not many. <laughs> you know
0: what I mean? Especially in this style.
1: So it's. It, it, I, I learned a lot. I mean, have, I, there were situations where I was like, right, okay, well, now I have – I know it's towards the end of my time in Cradle, but I was like, well, I kind of have to learn how to self-record. And thank, like I say, thank God I did because lockdown was around the corner and I was able to stay sane and record guest solos for people. Now I'm recording all the time. I'm writing songs for other artists and recording guest solos and stuff. I'm, I'm just really glad I learned how to do that. But writing in that style, even just touring at that level was something I'd never done before. I'd never been on a tour bus before my first time going on a tour bus with cradle. Literally on the way to the first gig was my first time ever on a tour bus. So it was it was a very much trial by fire and, and you had to learn to adapt very quickly. Learn a lot about what it's like to work with other musicians, other musicians from different countries. Uh Different backgrounds, you know, it, it was a massive culture shock when I first joined Cradle. It's like, how right? I've got to learn how people tick, like, they need to know what makes me tick. Like, like you, you got to learn, you, you know, what it's like. Anybody who's been in a band knows what it's like, even if you've been, which I think everybody should do, is a van tour. Everybody needs to do a tour in a van
0: because that's for transit, that, that sofa will, in the back, and god knows whatever gear that
1: will. Make and break relationships with people. That w- will make you... I genuinely believe that will make you a better person. If you if you can do van tours and come out of it and think, oh, I loved that. I think people just have an appreciation for how good and bad touring life can be if you've done the van tour thing.
0: Standing so a premiere in and then going back to the next gig the next day. Exactly,
1: and, and you're kind of counting your pennies going, can we afford a McDonald's? Probably not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I think it does. It, it builds character, and it kind of almost. If you're a touring musician, your chops get honed as well. If you're a writing musician, you get you just become better and more comfortable at writing. And I, I, don't know, I And that's why I can never like talk negatively about those experiences of Cradle because they weren't negative. I learned a lot. Not to sound too petrified, but I learned about a lot about myself. About yeah, what. Where are my personal boundaries? What 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 do I want to do as a musician? What do I want to be as a person? Okay, I didn't react well to something that may have happened in the band. Okay, you know what I mean. Like you're on tour, you have these little arguments, whatever. It didn't happen often, but I was I was always kind of stayed out of that kind of stuff. But you see how other people react with each other and. You know what it is. Like everybody I think every band's done it where it's like you've got to speak to the promoter after a gig is always an incredibly uncomfortable and awkward conversation. Um, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that would happen even at Cradle's level and it's um you learn oh, you a lot to just go, even uh, if I'm not if directly involved. Yeah, <laughs> even if I'm not directly involved, you see things. Most of the time I wasn't directly involved, to be honest with you, but you see how things work. Um just as the industry as a whole, and you realize, I think the biggest thing I realized doesn't matter how big a band is, it's pretty much the same as being a lower level band. There's just you playing in front of a few more people. Yeah. Other than that, it's pretty much the same. You encounter the same stuff uh, on a daily basis, good and bad, but just yeah, you encounter the really crowds. crappy bathrooms and crappy yeah. showers. I don't get me wrong, but even at that level, there's crappy venues, crappy PAs, but there's bloody good backstage areas and bloody good PAs and it kind of weighs, it's the same in, like even doing the tribute scene I found that, where you turn up to one venue and you're like, oh my god, is there even going to be a gig? And then you turn up the next day and it's like the best day of a tour and you're like, it's dealing with that on a daily basis, like there's not much consistency to being a touring musician, in my experience
0: um i had a very interesting running with post stars when um i think was it it was i remember if it was just after i think it was just before covid and i remember they put out an advert that they were looking for a depth guitarist and i was like yeah. oh you know i, I like I, I really like ghosts so kind of like i mean in, i'm interested that, that was my fault because i had, i had to leave the band yeah. Uh, see, so they asked to like, um, and I, I sent them an email and I was like, you know, I, I'm really interested in, it, you know, in, in doing this. Mm. Um, and I saw that they were kind of, they were supporting Ramlide in Blackpool, and uh, that was a gig where they were like, Josh, we need someone on short notice. Can you come in and do this gig on the Friday? And I was like, mm. yeah, yeah, fine. And then pop Stars pulled out because they couldn't get a guitarist in, but then they they weren't, oh. they were like, they said, oh, no, we're not auditioning you, we don't need you. And then <laughs> they pulled out and I was like, um, okay.
1: That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that was. Because at the time, uh, just to give a bit of background on that, I was actually in the process, in, in I was finishing my last Cradle album doing the guitar parts COVID was kind of this thing people were just kind of whispering, but nobody took it too seriously, even if it did here. I we might not have even heard about it at this point. This was like February, March. Me and my partner had made the decision to move to Kent, so I knew I'd probably have to leave the band anyway, what with them being like a Nottingham-based band. Yeah. Um, and Plus, because we were going to move down, because my partner was expecting our first child, so we were like, well... And I'm meant to be going on tour with Cradle anyway. So it's like, I can't do the gigs with with Pope Stars. And then COVID came and knocked those touring plans on its head anyway. Obviously, I still moved down to Kent. We were still expecting our child. But it was like a case of there's no touring. There's no touring work. Whether I was doing Cradle or Pope Stars, I can't do any gigs anyway. So it was kind of this weird phase where it was like, I was still... They would still need to try and find a depth for me because I was meant to be on tour, but then none of these tours ended up happening and nobody ended up gigging anyway because obviously we know what happened in, in that March of 2020. I was actually making the Cradle of Filth album, recording my guitar parts when lockdown was announced. And the uh, producer, my, I had my... Going, well, what, what do we do? I was like, well, have you been <laughs> near anyone? I haven't been near. We, literally for a week prior, we it'd only just been me and him. I literally went to the hotel, he went home. We record the guitar parts literally we're the only people who saw each other for a week. So we are like, well, we might as well spend the next couple of days finishing the guitar parts. And then I drive back home to Derbyshire at the time. And they're going, okay, but then what do we do? Isn't, like, Ashok's meant to be flying in next week. And it's like, yeah, that's not happening now. But we'll give it a couple of weeks. And maybe we'll uh, just pick up the album where we left off.
0: (laughs) The album (laughs) did not pick up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, because I did them two gigs with Ramlo. We did like um, Blackpool and Canticle, and the week after was my birthday weekend, and I went out in Birmingham, and I remember there was nobody there. And then literally two or three days later, they announced the the whole lockdown. It was was such a blur. It was weird.
1: I just remembered finishing... The guitar tracks for the Cradle album. Well, we're not finished because, weirdly enough, in about six months, that we kind of had to halt the album. We didn't really halt the album, but we kind of weird, weirdly did it. The drums were done. My guitars were done. They couldn't get the guitar player and the bass player to fly in, for obvious reasons. So, but Danny lived close to the studio. So what they ended up doing was Danny was basically had free reign to record vocals for as long as he wanted but only to my guitars and the drums. Everything else was still the demo kind of tracks, but at least we got the vocals done. But in that time, because it had been so long, going, well, when can we get the bass and drums recorded? Keyboards were always done from home anyway, from the sounds of it, so they didn't have to worry about getting the keyboard player in, but she did have to uh, record her vocals as well, but we kind of wait for Danny to finish so they know where the female vocals are going to go and all this kind of stuff. But in the time that Danny's recording his vocals, the songs are kind of changing because Danny will go, mm, now that I've heard this song so many times, mm-hmm. can we change the structure slightly and we'll add in a guitar solo. So I had to go back in about five days before my son was born. We were okay to travel, so I recorded some guitar solos there and redid some riffs. Um, and even after my son was born, they'd be like, oh, we're going to add in some guitar solos. So it was really weird recording my album because it was like, COVID kind of really messed up the patched order it, of how things were done. Points. Yeah, it was almost patchwork trying to finish this album. Uh, even guitar, some of the guitar solos, they just went, yeah, we're adding some guitar solos, but don't worry, you can self record from home. So some of those solos were recorded in this room uh, that made the album, which again, that was another experience. I thought, I, I had, like, so I had to learn very quickly how to record and edit a pro level guitar solo and then send it off to the producer and like all that kind of stuff. But thankfully, I'd done like a few guest solos at that point anyway. But I was like, pressure was on, because I haven't got a producer who's sat there editing it in real time, and he knows, <laughs> it, he knows what he's doing. I'm kind of just... Hodgepodge. Yeah. It, it, worst case scenario, probably watch a YouTube tutorial, and that's my training on how to do it. But thankfully, it turned out okay. So it was just a weird process making the album. It wasn't a bad process, just odd, and that was COVID's fault. We couldn't streamline the process as much as we did on the previous two albums. It's not like one guy finishes his parts and then the other guy flies in like the following week. And we, we just had to, what do we do? <laughs> Who
0: knows? Make, make it work however, we, like kind yeah, of methods. We st- exactly.
1: We still got the album done and I'm super proud of the album. But it was just a very weird way to do it through no one's fault. We just had to do it in a very, what can we do? Let's make the most of it kind of way. And we ended up with a really good album at the end of it, but, yeah, just really odd way of doing things to the point where I was like, I don't know. For six months, I'd heard a half-finished album going, is this album going to be any good? Because I've been used to only half the album has been technically recorded, half the instruments been recorded. I don't even know if these songs are going to be any good by the end of it because I don't know what the other guys are playing yet. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> yeah. the, the I don't fear, know what the vocals the are going to be. I didn't hear any longest. vocal takes until... The album was nearly released. I didn't even I didn't hear, even hear any of the vocal demos on that album. So it was because the vocals kept being changed because Danny had the time that he never really got. He got. I think he was loving it. He's like, I've got six months to work on my vocals <laughs> before we can yes. get anybody else to record any other parts. So, so the songs kept evolving because Danny had the time to change his vocal patterns and even change the lyrics and stuff so it's just an odd album just an odd time
0: oh the whole time was just completely odd anyway it was. um so i'm aware obviously with the, i think you're doing lessons today as well so i'm going to start kind of um bringing this uh to a close as we hit the time limit so we have like um segment on the podcast where we get previous guests that are Able to ask the, the the following guests some questions, mm-hmm. and I must admit when I was filming when this one last night, I forgot so I had to message Tom and I was like, "Oh shit, you need to ask a question to Richard." And I don't know what Richard okay. Ask, and um, Tom wanted to know about: do you, do you have any kind of pre and post gig rituals? Like so, you know, some people might you know it'll say before every gig, will have a shot of tequila or you know something like that. You know, would you have your kind of? Something you always um, did before every gig and after every gig.
1: No. <laughs> in no, the, simple it, as. In in I I'd, I'd never really had anything. It, it, depending on the gig, depending on who I'm gigging with, and I might go over certain songs, like just kind of go. I just need to triple check that part. Try and get that a little bit tighter. Just get the rhythm in my head. I remember there was like one King Eight, literally the first King Eight Ten gig when I filled in for those guys. I got to rehearsals, we tried the song through, and they're like, why didn't you play that bit? I was like, what do you mean why didn't I play that bit? There's no guitar on that bit on the record. So I just thought, I wouldn't play anything. And we're like, oh, live, no, the guitar plays along with it. And it was this super syncopated, almost genty part. And I was like, oh, Christ. Now I've got to get that. So even before the first gig, I'm there going... Listening to the record, just going, I've got to get that rhythm in my head before I go on. It's like a 16-bar thing when nothing repeats within those 16 bars. You just there going, oh bloody hell! Right, okay. So there are moments like that, even with some of the cover bands I've done, where I've just like just probably just listened to a section just to check that I really know it. But in terms of a thing I do every single gig, not not really. With with Cradle, the only thing we would do before we go on, we always made sure, and it was a very British thing to do. We'd always shake hands and say, "Good show." We wouldn't do the American thing if everyone gets in a huddle and like go yeah, go team. It was just like, "Good show," and then you go on stage, <laughs> and that was it. That was the only thing we would have to make sure we do: just shake hands, cool, let's do the gig. Yeah. Kind of thing. But that me personally, essentially no British. It is, it's like tell you ho, chaps. <laughs> have a good one, fellows. Yeah, you know, <laughs> make we'll sure you have it. some tea and scones. Exactly, but but before <laughs> and after the show, in Cradle, it was more of a case of just make sure I've kind of stretched the neck out. To be honest with you, obviously a lot of head banging, my body takes a bit of a toll during those shows. So me and the bass player, kind of especially with religiously, like you get the makeup on and everything. Like before, the, you get the makeup on. and the, Think the the garb, you'd kind of just sit there and go, okay. Let's just make sure the next doing what it's meant to be doing. Stretch the back out. Stretch out what I feel like I need to stretch out, but kind of relaxed with it. And then about half an hour before the show, I'm like, cool, get the makeup on, get the clothes on, and then just do it. I, I I didn't like to like sit around in the garb for too long yeah. before going on stage. Usually half an hour before we're on stage, i would be like, okay, now I'll do it really quick. Gone, boom, done. But no, no rituals really other than that. But that was very cradle specific, I suppose.
0: Uh, so that's quite interesting. Like I remember, like used to do like kind of like the mine hurts, Prince style make, or where you know like kind of black around the eyes and red, and it's just yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, I personally like I would want to kind of get like as soon as we'd done sound check, I'll go, I would go eating bits and pieces, and then like I would want to be ready like at least an hour beforehand, so I can kind of get myself mentally prepared that was
1: yeah my... I think I was always quite lucky because maybe because I've been playing pubs and clubs since I was about 13 years old you, in my experience when you play pubs and clubs I don't know if you, I'm sure you've had this gigs it's like cool have your sound check yeah because you're on in five <laughs> great <laughs> yeah, yeah, if yeah, you were yeah, lucky enough done. to get a sound check you know what I mean so I think I'm Not just used to check. that you almost have to be mentally ready to go at any time like, oh, oh I'm starving, but no time for that. Right, okay, let's just do the gig and then I'll try and find a kebabery later. Um <laughs> like, so during the gig I'm thinking about kebabs. I don't know, but you know but even at cradle level, I was just like, no, I don't I don't like that kind of waiting around. If anything, the waiting around ready to go on thing would actually make me more nervous. Yeah. So I would rather get ready pretty much relatively late like everyone's ready to go and i'm still like this going right i think i'll start getting my uh, makeup on there and i just whack it on (laughs) as quick as i could and it's especially in cradle it's almost like putting the makeup on became part of the transition period like mentally getting ready for the gig yeah whereas in every other band i played on other than like pope stars obviously you've got to get the garb on and everything that kind of was the same thing getting the mask on and the costume kind of gets you mentally ready for the gig every other band i've played in. Oh, same for King. King, I had to wear the mask and everything. So that was part of it. But every yeah. other band I played in where it's just like, get up in whatever clothes I'm on. you, I think I got comfortable just going,
0: cool. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I've got a job to do, kind of clock on kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, My missus, she was kind of like a big cradle of feel, when she was growing up, you know, through like the teenage angsty years and bits and mm-hmm. pieces like that. So we ironically, though? you know, she- <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and... um. It was going to be a question I was going to touch on anyway, but she was asking about um, kind of your personal influences that you've pulled from. Obviously, we've spoken about Metallica um, kind of, you know, obviously being one influence, but yeah. I'm sure there's, there's many, many more.
1: Metallica were my biggest kind of metal influence, but there's countless bands in loads of genres because um, it's almost like influences as a songwriter. Like when, when I'm when I was writing for Cradle, there was lots of different... Yes, a lot of metal bands that kind of almost cherry pick my favorite bits from all my favorite metal bands and kind of dilute them into Cradle of Music. But even like there's some country stuff and some funk stuff that weirdly enough made it into Cradle stuff. And <laughs> um, that seems to be quite cleverly disguised. But like some of the songs I wrote, it's like it started out as a country song and somehow I turned it into a Cradle of Filth song. So it's like. It depends. I think I've always been quite lucky and sometimes it sounds very pretentious when people say this but it's kind of true in my case where it was like I think I was always really lucky that I just I always listened to a lot of styles of music. I just happened to gravitate to probably rock and metal more but there was always loads of genres on the periphery that I was always listening to as well and that stuff always kind of just like kind of leaked into my guitar playing and You'd learn something in a country lick and go, cool, I can technically turn that into a black metal riff, which is what happened with one Cradle of Filth song. And that, weirdly enough, became a single. And I'm there going, okay, this thing that started out as a country-picking exercise has now turned into the lead single off the album. That was kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) Me me kind of going, this will never turn into a Cradle of Filth song, but I'll record it and see what we think. The the rest of the band liked it, and then it became the single. And I'm there going... I kind of wrote that as a joke, <laughs> <laughs> thinking but there's no way we're going to like this riff. Um, and, and they apparently,
0: them. the and intro to the Sweet Child of Mine was, was wrote as a joke. like That was just like a warm-up exercise, and it ended up being like um, obviously the, the biggest song.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that was the lore, but I think Slash came out recently and said, yeah, that was never a thing. I don't know who started that, but... Uh, that was yeah, never a thing. So, so I don't know. I don't know if that's just slash down playing it or kind of trying to take it more seriously. than what I don't know. But apparently knows? he said, yeah, it was never written as a joke. But I think other members of Guns Roses seem to think it was. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's probably where well, it stemmed from. So I don't know. Probably. But, but, um, but any idea can come from anywhere. I, I think that's why uh, yeah. I think it's hilarious. I mean, I'd love to sit down with the guys from Rammstein and go, how did you come up with certain things? <laughs> Where does the idea come from, not only musically but visually? Because that's mad. Like, obviously, even in a music video point of view for Ramstein, especially where you go, whose idea was it to do that? <laughs> like,
0: I'd love to see. Well, that I, I know through predominantly through the Mutter, especially the Mutter album, that Richard was very heavenly. Um, I think he did the majority of the writing for that whole album. Mm. Um, and I know that kind of, if you listen to his, he's got the side project, Emigrate, you can mm. kind of hear the phases of, you can tell he was writing Rammstein and Emigrate at the same time, because there's very riffs that are very similar. There's mm. um, one's Emigrate song, War, which is using the, exactly the same intro as Deutschland. It's just the just oh, really? just move them around ever so slightly. And it's just like, oh, you can see sort of the kind of the brain of of yeah. thought that he was in at that
1: time. To be fair, I do need to listen to the emigrate stuff because I'm a big Ramstein fan and so is my missus. But for some reason, I never thought to really listen to the emigrate stuff. But I've, a lot of people rate it quite highly, actually. So
0: I've, well, I've got I'll have like, to check it I've, out emigrate tattoos on me and um, oh, i think you? it def- it shows off a lot more of hit, like kind of um it's like almost kind of an alternative version of Ramstein, where it's a, a bit more like i would say mainstream mm-hmm. in a way yeah um but there are some really good risks and for a, a german guy richard can sing english surprisingly well
1: yeah, I'll have to check it out. This happens in loads of conversations I have with people where I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't mean to check out that band, but I never did for some strange reason. And there seems to be a list of bands like that or albums where I go, I'll yeah. get round to that, and it never happens. There's even classic bands where I know like three or four of their songs. I'm like, they're brilliant. Why did I never delve into the back at <laughs> yeah. I'm going through that at the minute where I'm going, all these classic bands... <laughs> I'm going to go I'll check hold out that thought because actual-
0: the, Hold that thought, because that will be a question towards the end of the podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, okay, fair. Um, so you've now got an opportunity to ask ask, ask, ask the next guest um, question. And um, the person that should be following you should be Maxi Kerner, who I don't know if you're aware of him. He's kind of like a songwriter, producer, audio engineer. He's done some bits with like Rabia Massad and... I was gonna um, say,
1: that, yeah, the name's familiar. But yeah, I couldn't place who it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And, I think, ironically, I think he's down kind of like the Brighton, Kent sort of way as well. Yeah, so seems yeah, to have a lot of people about, yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. this podcast. So um, sure opportunity to quiz quiz Max. Okay. I think my question will be:
1: What's your biggest regret?
0: Mm. Read into that what they will. <laughs> For some reason, Siri decided to say that biggest should turn its face back to nuggets. So it's a nuggets regret, but okay. Okay. Uh,
1: so yeah, I think what what is your biggest regret, whether it be in the music industry or outside of it? Depends how well, honest you want to get. One.
0: Yeah how, uh, <laughs> yeah, how deep dive? Yeah, how deep want to be?
1: Because I'm sure a lot of people in the music industry have regrets, where they go, oh, "I wish I'd done that," or "I wish I hadn't done that," or maybe I should have handled it differently. Whatever happened, I find a lot of people have stories, not necessarily regrets, but kind of things where we're like, "I should have handled that a bit better," or "I wish I hadn't." There, there, there are things in my life where I went, I turned that down, and I shouldn't have. In hindsight, you know, like little things like that, and uh, you kind of, and I do. Not, not regrets because it's like my life turned out the way it was meant to turn out yeah. you know what I mean but at the same time you're thinking I wonder what would have happened if I'd taken
0: that if I just done or whatever
1: this. yeah it's like little things like that you yeah,
0: know yeah um so my kind of final question before we get onto the, the the final three of wrapping it up is um it's always a very interesting question because it always kind of gets not I wouldn't say the same response but Everybody seems to have one of these they, they struggle with. And um, what would you kind of say is obviously your biggest flaw that you'd like to work on? But on the other side of that, what do you think your biggest strength is? And everybody always struggles on the biggest strength.
1: See, I think I know my strength. Okay. As weird as that sounds. It does sound kind of cocky, but I, 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 I'm I confident that I'm adaptable. I think I've been very, very, very lucky as a musician that I can adapt um, I know a lot of musicians who struggle to adapt in terms of musical styles or like even if you're writing songs with people, if somebody says your idea is crap, okay, cool, I'll adapt, I'll change it. Some people get very precious about what they do and they don't like the criticism, whereas I welcome the criticism and go, well, let's make this better. And I like to think I'm quite good at adapting in that sense as well as... F- Career-wise, I've needed to adapt a few times to like what I need to do in order to make a living as a musician, but I've been able to adapt. So adaptability is a big one for me, um, that I think is my strength. I don't think I'm brilliant at anything. I just seem to have gone, okay, well, this isn't working, I'll, I'll adapt to this, or... Yeah, I'm not the greatest guitar player on the planet, but I I can do this this, this and this to a certain level. So I'll I, that's become my strength, you know. I'm like jack of all trades, master of none kind of guitar player. Um biggest weakness. There are so many. <laughs>
0: it's, um, I'm sure it's not that bad. <laughs>
1: but um no, I'm sure that's a very British self-deprecating response, but I think think the <coughs> one that comes to light with me, and I have this conversation with a lot of people, I get really bad imposter syndrome. There's a lot of things I've done in my life, just personal or career-wise, music-wise, where I've kind of almost taught myself out of it because I've ended up going, oh, I'm, I'm. Why would they hire me? Why? Why should I go for that? Then ironically that happened when i joined cradle of filth i almost called them up and went you've i got the audition i got the part I sound like an actor I got the part i got the job as the guitar player going and about a week later i was like going through all the songs going they've got the wrong guy i think i'm i think i should just call them and say sorry i i'm not going to do it and somebody convinced me not to do it and i'm really glad they did because obviously it was brilliant <laughs> it was it was a good yeah. thing to do. But I, I'm still guilty of that where I go I kind of talk myself out of things and I I procrastinate a lot. I do sometimes I do eventually do things but it takes me way longer than it should have done because I've taught myself that, that I sh- either shouldn't be doing it or I'm not the right person for it. Um yeah. even when I wrote my book, I I wanted to write a book for ages, but I always went, Well, who's gonna care? about me writing a book. And then when lockdown happened, I went, well, I haven't got anything in the diary. Now's a good time to start it, just for me. (laughs) And then I ended up finishing and writing and publishing a book that some people have bought. And I went, you know what I mean? And there was a side of me that was like, why didn't I do this years ago? I wanted to do it years ago, but I convinced myself not to. There's lots of things musically that I've wanted to do that I've convinced myself not to do because I've told myself I'm not good enough to do it or nobody will care if I did do it. And I'm kind of starting to come around to this idea of just try it. I'd rather it I, not to go too, yeah, it won't hurt. I don't want to go too hippie-trippy with it, but it's like, I mean, I'm, I think it's, I don't know It's whether it's being older, now I'm a dad. I don't know what it is, but if there's this whole thing of, I'd rather try and find out, like, rather try and fail than never try at all and kind of, yeah, and live a life of regret, and I know that's super rippy, trippy to say, but I'm I think I'm coming around to it. I think it's an age thing where I'm like, "What's the worst that can happen? Try it." Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't know till you try. That's exactly what. exactly. There's loads of like, little things I'm doing in the background at the moment. Uh, even some things like the Lit Library thing, like Lit Library, I was like, well, "Why would they want me?" Kind of thing. As, as much as an honour it is to be involved with Lit Library now, and I'm so grateful that I'm doing it. There was a big thing where I was like. I'm not the best guitar player in the world. I'm not the best teacher in the world.
0: And I, it, Well, if, you, if you've if you been stood, you know, because you, I we'll think if I'm right in saying you were teaching, and especially in the, the, the um, college in Birmingham, the Society of Music in Birmingham. Yeah, oh, oh, I was point, lecturing so. in the Academy of Music
1: Sound. They had quite a few campuses, but I was lecturing in Birmingham and Swindon. I've been teaching guitar since 2006, 2007, like at primary, secondary, college level, university level, privately. So as a teacher, I have a lot of experience, but teaching people and then teaching on camera is very, very, very different. Mm. But there was a side of me going, I've got to see if I can do it. I've been asked to do it. I'm going to say yes. It's an honour because I grew up, Playing Little library stuff and watching their stuff. uh, Yeah, was it Jamie Humphreys DVDs? Jamie Humphreys was one of my tutors at ACM. So, and it was like kind of weird, like following in his footsteps, so to speak. So, there was this side of me going, I want to do it, but I was kind of convincing myself not to do it for quite a while. I was like, because they've got other people who are better at this than I am, but they want me <laughs> and then we were like they looked at my cv and they were just like you're kind of perfect for it but i'm still going i am i really? yeah exactly like you know and, and i'm starting to i think with age i'm starting to go i need to i need to switch that side of my brain off and just say hell with it let what's the worst that
0: can happen it. it's crap <laughs> as, and to move on you know what i mean like as i say I'd stick it try. in the fuck it bucket bucket
1: Exactly. And there have been a few moments and you talk to a lot of even successful businessmen who are like, yeah, I had about a thousand failures before I became known for the one thing that made me super successful. And I suppose there's various that mindset as well. It's like, what's the worst that can happen? So that didn't work. Move on to the next thing.
0: There we go. Makes for a very varied life, I think. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Right, so I think, is it two o'clock? I think you said you've got your, your... Yeah, that's my first one. Lessons. So, yeah, yeah. so, we'll have so to, we're going to crack Um So we'll get to the part of the podcast where we ask the guests the same three questions mm-hmm. on every podcast for a nice bit of con- continuity. Okay. So uh, firstly, I would like to ask you, you're on a desert island. You've got one guitar, one pedal, one amp. No budget. What are you taking with you?
1: Can I cheat and say quad cortex?
0: The thing is, like this happened on the very first episode, and someone was like, "Can I take a Kemper?" and like I said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" So now I have to commit to every time. Someone mm-hmm. says, "So there's like, a side of me going
1: yeah. just for convenience and to vary it—a quad cortex." But I would, I would—I don't know—amp-wise, that's really interesting because there's so many great amps. There's a side of me that's just like, I just want a good old classic Fender Twin or something like yeah. that, you know what I mean, like, still the best clean sound you could probably ever get, um, guitar, it's going to have to be one of my PRS's, but I don't know which one, probably this one, this is the go-to, my 1993 Custom 24, this this has got a certain magic to it, that anybody even people who don't like PRS pick up that guitar and go, oh my god, that's amazing, which they don't usually say about my other guitars, <laughs> because but, but, uh, like you say I love PRS yeah, I think it's well documented how much I love PRS I love all guitars I just happen to really like PRS uh, people who don't like PRS try them other guitars and go eh, yeah it's a bit good yeah yeah
0: but then they try that one one of the only and- guitars I've never played I've yeah, never really. picked up a PRS and played one I think a lot of people get put off by the price
1: especially now PRS like the the, the, the Kind of core range stuff is getting really pricey, but you could say that about many, many guitar manufacturers. I think.
0: So I actually, I think by the, the end of the year, I may own one, and it'll be the Silver Sky SE. I think that's the. Yeah, I've, I'm of, very fortunate to say I do have a Silver Sky,
1: and a Silver Sky SE, and that SE is phenomenal. <laughs> it really is. I was shocked how good it was for the money it's
0: amazing uh, don't tempt me you know, I, I, so next time we speak you'll have a silver sky se definitely um, um next up is um what are you listening to at the moment on your current streaming platform
1: ooh, i don't know what i'm going through a big film music thing again i go through phases where i i basically deep dive into a lot of stars music i mean i'm a huge Alter Bridge fan and they released an album in October, so I keep going back to the new Alter Bridge. The new Catatonia album's not long come out, so I've been listening to the new Catatonia a little bit. Um, I keep going back to the classic bands that I just keep going back to, like my little safety net, the the Metallicas, the and Cambrias, the Alter Bridges, the dream theatres of the world, like let's do Queen, Beatles. Um, yeah. Because like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm big into my prog and power pop and all that kind of stuff, and so I keep digging those bands out, like the Jellyfishers of the world and all that kind Porcupine of stuff. Porcupine Tree. Porcupine Tree, Pink Floyd, all the, all the classic kind of prog stuff and the poppier stuff. Um, it keeps coming out. The Jeff Buckley's of the world and all this kind of stuff as well keeps popping up, but right at the moment there's a lot of Danny Elfman, Hans Zimmer, and John Williams going on in in, in my household. Great, great trio. So yeah, so the, the the kind of holy trinity of film composers for me, I keep coming back to them. Like pretty much anything they've done, I think is just genius.
0: Um, so about, everything that, they do touches is just turns to gold.
1: Yeah, exactly, and. Um, like, I can't pinpoint any particular score where I go, that's my favourite of theirs. It's just everything they do is just brilliant.
0: But I like this one, but I also like this one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the problem I get when people go, what's your favourite Danny Elfman score? I always go, Edward Scissorhands. And then I go, but there's Beetlejuice. Yeah. But there's. <laughs> and then, and, and, like, I keep changing my mind what my favourite stuff of theirs is, is, those kind of worlds. But there's so many great film composers. But I keep coming
0: back to those three. Are very, very influential on just me in general, to be honest with you. And uh, and 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 lastly, say so again, as I know time is pressing issue. Uh, right. Where I can, can I people find more and more about you? Um,
1: I, I don't have any website or anything, but it's basically I have Facebook and Instagram. I keep thinking about setting up a TikTok because that seems to be the thing right now. So my Facebook and Instagram is uh, Richard Shaw guitarist. Um, and obviously, they can buy my book on Amazon, um, my, my book, which is about music theory and navigating the fretboard, using music theory from a guitarist point of view, navigating the fretboard, where to put all this theory. That's available on Amazon worldwide. Uh, and, I, yeah, contact me directly if they want lessons or if they want to hire me for guitar-related stuff. So, yeah, that's where they can get hold of me.
0: Jack of all trades. Jack of all a... trades,
1: master of none. But if, they want, <laughs> but if they like what I do and they need some guitars for anything, they can get hold of me on there.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, Richard, thank you for spending this morning stroke, this afternoon brunch period with me. It's been an absolute delight and I've absolutely enjoyed chatting to the heavens with you. It's been wonderful. I'm sure we could have kept going. This is the thing we've taught
1: music and guitar geekery. There's no shutting me up, unfortunately. So apologies to anyone um, listening
0: going, he's going on
1: a bit, isn't he? <laughs> uh, no,
0: I, I could have happily gone on for another couple of hours if uh, if things were different, but hey-ho. As well. um, so as always, uh, you'll be able to find out more about Richard and Lick Library, his lessons, his books, that he's got out the lobby down in the description box in the wherever you are listening to this. So make sure you check him out. You know, Drop him, drop him a like, drop him a follow, and I'm sure that you will uh, enjoy the content, the fine premium content that he is sharing. And of course, why not get a lesson with him? I mean, why not? It doesn't hurt. Got to do that. Got to do that promotion. Got to do the promotion. Um, Yeah. Uh, You can find out more about me at the Guitar Geeks Podcast on Instagram. You can find me at the Corona Mortis on Instagram as well. Make sure you tune into some of our previous episodes. You never know what you might have missed on the podcast. You know, you couldn't go and listen to me talking to Rob Chapman or Mikey Demas or even last night's guest, Tom Pierce. Richard, thank you ever so much for again for spending the time with me. Much appreciated out of your busy schedule.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. I have really enjoyed it. That was good. Uh, good interview, wonderful.
0: Huh? wonderful. Thank you ever so much. And from me and from Richard, uh, we will see you next time on the Guitar Geeks podcast.